0: hi, it's Mark Bittman. Thanks for joining us and welcome to food. This is the podcast where we talk about all things food and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at food at markbittman.com. We will periodically answer questions on the air, but we're always glad to hear suggestions, questions, answers, comments, anything you like. Please subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, make comments, give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. Aquatru has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation free countertop purifiers to higher capacity under sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bitman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com, and enter code Bitman at checkout. For 20% off any Aquatru water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bitman. B-I-T-T-M-A-N. B-I-T-T-M-A-N. I'm really pleased to have with me here today the talented chef Kwame Onwachi. Kwame graduated from the Culinary Institute of America and had jobs at Per Se and 11 Madison Park in New York City. And he was a contestant on Top Chef, but he's perhaps best known for his much-loved memoir, Notes from a Young Black Chef, a coming-of-age memoir that garnered fantastic reviews. Notes from a Young Black Chef chronicles on Wachi's youth in New York City and in rural Nigeria with his grandfather, where his mom sent him to learn respect. You'll hear about that. He sold enough candy on the New York City subway system to open his own catering business. He cooked on a boat serving crews cleaning up the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. And he opened and closed a restaurant in Washington, D.C. Through it all, his love for food reigned even as he struggled with what the traditional food world has to offer people of color and how he, as a Black man in America, could make his way in the space. His new book is a cookbook, My America, Recipes from a Young Black Chef, and it's out now. I was happy to take that as an opportunity to talk with him about cooking, recipes, notes from a young Black chef, and his fascinating life. He's a great guest. We had a wonderful conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Let's start with notes from a young black chef, which was really well-received, not to mention that you wrote it in your 20s, although, you know, that's why young is in the title, I guess. We're here to talk about (laughs) the cookbook, which is beautiful, Recipes from a Young Black Chef. But, you know, not everybody knows who you are, and you had an interesting journey. So can you talk a little bit about your childhood and coming of age for— People who might not know that story?
2: Yeah, for sure, man. You know, I started cooking at a young age, pretty much out of necessity. Um, My mom had a catering company that she operated from the house um, when I was an infant, you know, until a teenager. So at five years old, when I was, you know, able to hold a knife and uh, stand on a step stool, I I was given some tasks to help out. And that's how I really got my first foray into cooking.
0: Five is pretty... Five is pretty young,
2: <laughs> pretty young, yeah. pretty young. You know, and that that chore turned into a hobby, and that that hobby turned into a passion, and that passion, you know, turned into a, a very fruitful career. Um, I spent some time in Nigeria as well. As a you know, child of, of immigrants on my father's side, and I was also a child of the South Bronx, so it was very easy to veer off on the wrong path and. My mom sent me to live with my grandfather in Nigeria for two years, and uh, to like teach me respect and to appreciate what I have here in America. So I did that, and you know, and after that, I, I went to college or started getting into more trouble and dropped out. And the only thing I knew how to do was was cook. So those are the only jobs that I could really get, whether it was a dishwasher, a busboy, a server, a cook. Um, I did it, and you know, I kept at it and put my head down and. Eventually started my own company, you know, when I was about 20 years old and I funded it by selling candy on the subway. It was a catering company. And then, you know, I put myself through CIA and and then, uh, you know, worked at some some really great restaurants in the country and then started doing my own thing. So that's that's my elevator pitch story
0: story. Yeah, <laughs> we have it's not we have the we have the underachiever as a young person thing in common. I grew up in New York also, is a sort of short version of that. And I wonder, you know, I I was struck by the selling candy on the subway thing, which we've all seen kids do. And I just wondered what that felt like, what it was like to be running around on the train <laughs> working. And, yeah, what it, was it felt like, what you saw, you liked it. Um, I grew to
2: like it. I think in the beginning it was tough because I grew up in New York and I would see my friends and they would see me selling candy. But I think it was, for me, it was like, it was a means to an end, you know, and I knew what I was setting out for. You know, I wanted, I wanted to be free to express myself. I wanted to be free to like the food I wanted to cook. I wanted to have my own business. So there was a means to an end aspect of it. So it was like kind of like an adventure. (laughs) I learned a lot about the candy selling ring you know I, I didn't know there really was one and that's what got me out of it because i was you know almost got jumped by like two other rival candy selling uh,
0: uh, yeah i can imagine there was,
2: there was a system to it you know there's a lot of money to be made on those trains so there's a system and you have to get permission and all this stuff but it was cool i mean i met a lot of interesting people i, I made some money was able to like you know take care of myself and yeah I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, honestly. I, I had a really good time doing it.
0: Well, that's cool. It's a very Oliver Twist story, the sort of organized gangs of candy sellers. I kind of had to ask about that. so let's <laughs> let's move on to recipes from a young black chef, which is super titled My America. You want to talk a little bit about what your America is, what that means to you?
2: I mean, my America is it's a book that really depicts like we're also. We're also different. You know, we all have different upbringings, um, but we're also very similar because we're, we're in the same country. It's so vast. And as a kid, think of yourself as a six year old and, you know, your grandmother's making you food from Ukraine. And <laughs> yeah, you're you're not asking, hey, what uh, what region of Ukraine is this from? You're just eating it <laughs> and yes. you know you're in America. So you're thinking this must be how everyone else eats. And that's how I felt as a child until I went and did, they had sleepovers and, you know, ate at school. So this is my version of, of what America was, you know. There, were, And, you know, I think America in itself, you can't really even talk about American cuisine without talking about all the influences, you know, and especially West African cuisine. Whether it's the ingredients that were brought over or the influences in the dishes that are now in the lexicon of, of, you know, the quintessential American cuisine. But yeah, for me, it was, you know, it was, it was jerk chicken. It was oxtails. It was gumbo. It was, you know, shrimp etouffee. Um, it was barbecue. It was, it was all of those things. Um, so that's what, what I mean when I say my America, like this yeah. is, this is it and it is still authentic as it gets because you know the people that were cooking it for me were directly from those countries.
0: You're right. I mean I for the first few years of my life I thought oh yeah this is what food is and then I was exposed to I grew up sort of low east side and was exposed to a lot of Italian American food not what we really think of as Italian food but you know, red sauce stuff and Chinese mm-hmm. food and suddenly exactly. Puerto Rican food. And suddenly it was just all like, holy shit, people just eat all these different things. And my mother was, of course, warning me off and all of it, but, you know, whatever.
2: There's so <laughs> many people here. There's so many people here that are Americans, you know, that, um, and that's what the, the beautiful thing about this country is that it's such a melting pot, but we got to get into the food and, and that's what this is about. And with these recipes, there are, also anecdotes that really talk about why these dishes have stood the test of time you know i like to say if you go to a jamaican uh, museum there's not going to be a framed picture of a chef that's like this is the chef that created oxtails or curry goat like Mm -hmm. it's these dishes are a snapshot in time and they're because of what was going on um and i think that's why they're so important
0: well, they also evolve as we each cook each other's food or as as the generations evolve and we're all mm-hmm. sort of more and more distant from the food of our grandparents or our great-grandparents whoever immigrated. Mm-hmm. And we're, like, all exposed to each other's cooking. I mean, especially those of us who are cooks. And we, you know, we learn from each other and we see stuff and we take something from one cuisine and stick it in another and so on.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's also like what what was happening at that time frame. I think dishes evolve with the times, but what's happening at that time frame? What is accessible? What new ingredients have have been brought? What you know historical changes have been made, um, and that's what makes these like iconic dishes that are you know enjoyed around the world.
0: Right. I mean, I think the contemporary. You'd know this better than me, but I think the contemporary influence of West Africa is really interesting, given that you know ten or fifteen percent, whatever it is, of of Americans or descendants of slaves and were forced to come here, obviously. And and then there wasn't a lot of communication between the the young United States and West Africa. And now there are people like you and many others who go back and forth who have family in West Africa who sort of know West Africa. And that's kind of a new African influence on American food.
2: Yeah, because it's resurgence of reclaiming the past that was like so, you know, um, violently taken away from us. You know, um, and I think that's that's really what's happening now. It's like, oh wait, <laughs> we there is history there, you know, right. and there's there's refinement there, and there's nuance there, um, and how do we continue to explore that in all the many different ways? Right,
0: but, but and also West Africa has changed in the last whatever three hundred years, obviously, but mm-hmm. but you know that influence faded for a while. And now I feel like, I think you just used the word resurgent. I think, yeah, now it is resurgent. Mm
2: -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love to see all the Afro-Caribbean restaurants, the the Southern restaurants, really trying to get to the etymology of the dish and finding the story within these dishes and finding the soul. And that's what you're seeing now. and, And it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it is. It's exciting. Talk a little about the experience with your Grandfather in Nigeria, you just said, and I know you wrote also that you were sent there to learn respect. What was that like? What was it like for a young American from New York to find himself there?
2: I mean, it was a culture shock. <laughs> it was yeah. like can't go from playing PlayStation, <laughs> PlayStation and Nintendo sixty four to um to doing your homework by kerosene lamp. It was a huge culture shock, but I think it was a it was a necessary lesson that I needed to learn that I think a lot of the world population or at least Western is is robbed of, or they don't even get to experience or even know what other people in the world experience. It was important for me. It was, it was tough at first, but then I was like, wow, there's a beauty in this because everyone's been doing this for thousands of years. You know, electricity is not a thing.
0: (laughs) And you were, you were in the country. You weren't even in the city, right? Yeah.
2: Electricity is not a thing. The internet is not a real place, you know, like, (laughs) um, there's a real some value to, to procuring food, then that's why we don't waste it. You know, because if you want a 10 piece chicken wing bucket, you got to raise, you know, five chickens, you know, so it's like everything was so meaningful and so intentional and so rooted in tradition and whatever culture was in these, you know, prospective places. So it was, it was, for me, it was just a masterclass of being a, a good citizen of the world. And I didn't appreciate it or know it at the time, but as I got older, I was always like reminded of that, you know, reminded of the opportunities that I had here, reminded if I really wanted something, I could make it happen. And my grandfather over there, you know, he was the chief of the village. So there was another layer of like, wow, prestige and like honor and, and, um, you know, having respect for yourself so others can respect you, um, that I learned at a young age as well. So, so it was great.
0: Plus that you were 10, it sounds sort of like 10, 12. sounds like the perfect age to have that experience. Transformative years. Yeah. I mean, as long as he was a, you know, as long as he wasn't, wasn't, what do I want to say? As long (laughs) as he was a kind guy and respected you also, it sounds like a fabulous, a fabulous experience, really.
2: Oh, no, he definitely did. He definitely did. It was, it was, you know, he's not with us anymore, but like, he was an amazing man you know he was a part of the civil rights era in in america you know moved back to to nigeria after he he was you know engulfed in education so yeah he he was an amazing man amazing individual
0: that's cool
1: PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Have you ever bought something, owned something, that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket a new pair of running shoes a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out i know that when i first started cooking on induction burners i just couldn't stop it was so much fun when we own exceptional things they inspire us to do exceptional things the all-new lexus gx has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed it's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go You'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats. You know you want that. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the Multi-Terrain Select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTru has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bitman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com, and enter code Bitman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bitman B-I-T-T-M-A-N. B-I-T-T-M-A-N. You know, you said you grew up with food, started sort of cooking when you were five, or started doing prep in the work in the kitchen when you were five. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense, I think you say this even somewhere, that you use food as a as a way of seeing the world, as a lens to look at the world. And I say that too, for what it's worth. But can you talk about what that means to you? I think food is a lens to, to people,
2: um, to understanding them you can really get to know somebody by eating the food that they eat. And, um, it kind of, it, obviously brings people together food that goes without saying, but it like, there's a deeper connection, um, when you can really like break bread with someone and, um, and get a piece of their culture. That's like going inside of your body, you know, and that sustenance, that's giving you life, but also giving you a little bit of, um, understanding of, of who they are. And, uh, you know, when I travel, I like to eat the food of the people, you know, yeah, go to a a nice restaurant. But like when I touch down and I'm getting checked in, you know, it's like, where do you eat on your lunch break? Like, I want to know where you eat. I want to I want to taste the food that that really makes this culture what it is that everything else is inspired by. So, yeah, it's a it's a connective. It's the connective tissue to the world food.
0: I think that the food that i've always valued is food that has a sense of place and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the hardest thing to find in the united states i mean i think it's a little easier now that there's focus on food that's actually grown near where it's being eaten again but i think one of the reasons i always loved to travel was to just check out food that was like really from the place that you mm-hmm. were at and it wasn't you know a 10 piece chicken bucket, for example, or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like let's go to Mexico and eat, eat at the Italian <laughs> restaurant kind of thing, exactly. you know, yeah. which, you know, people do, but yeah. I'm sort of wondering what your mom thinks of all this. You, she started teaching you uh, about cooking and, and maybe you still, I imagine you retain some of that. I, I wonder what she's thinking about where you've wound up, what you've done with all that knowledge, whether you still cook with her and so on.
2: I would think she's proud, you know, of where I was able to t- take food. She also did it out of necessity to provide for her kids. It still was a love for hers, But she's proud of, of where I was able to take it. And I was able to uh, um, manipulate it and, you know, put my own spin on it. And, and really um, take her dream to the next level. You know, she dreamed of going to the CIA. She always dreamed of like... Being at Food and Wine Aspen and, you know, one day going to the James Beard Awards and now her son is like hosting it, you know, and like executive producer for Food and Wine and helping out with the CIA in so many different aspects. I have a whole scholarship in my name, you know, where I send kids there on free rides. So, like, I think she's proud of what I've done and what I'm continuing to do. And I'm not just settling for like this flash in the pan success or anything like that. It's more it's more like what can I do with the platform that I have? Because tomorrow is not promised today. So how can I continue to 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 use my platform for good and and give back and, and make it better for the next generation?
0: That's really great. I could stop there, but I want to ask you some specific recipe questions about, Let's do about my America. So, you know, it seems like uh it's not just food that you learned. Growing up, and it's not just food that you learned in cooking school or doing a stage or or even running your own restaurants. It's kind of everything. It's all over the place. It's you could say it's a cookbook of the of the African diaspora, but I'm not even sure it's really that. I mean, we talked about this a little before. It's really a personal book and an American book. So where do cookbooks go? Where does your cooking go? It's not really a personal question. It's more a question of like, if this is a book of american food or this is a book of the african diaspora or if it's both what does come next what do you think of that
2: it's a great question that i don't have the answer to you know <laughs> i think i think what's next for me is is happiness you know like a lot of the restaurants i did and you know, the first restaurant was to prove myself the next restaurant was to like tell the story of of my of my lineage, my ancestors, I think whatever's next is like maybe just having some fun and, you know, cooking food that I like really enjoy when no one's around, you know, and like things that I crave, um, things that I grew up eating as a child that I used to like have to bag my sister for. So like, I think, I think that's where, where we go next if I, if I had to put a finger on it, but, you know, inspiration, as you know, you're an artist, you know, it comes, it comes in waves. You never know when something's going to really strike you and hit you that you're really passionate about because as an artist and as someone who is a student of life, I like to just be a sponge and and see what really sticks and what really like homogenizes with me, you know? And, and that's, that's where I'm at. I'm just, I'm going with the flow. I'm doing things intentionally. And I'm doing the things that honestly just make me
0: happy. Right. I mean, I get that. There is a way in which, I mean, we talked about this a little at the very beginning, you know, don't think about what you're doing next. Think about what you're doing now. And yet, we're sort of our own worst enemies in that regard in that we're always thinking about what's going to happen next. And I think that's probably, you know, the creative person's anxiety or dilemma is that, yeah, I really am happy with what I'm working on now but what if you know when i finish it what if it's just like i have no inspiration i don't know what i'm doing no one gives a shit but you know, no one cares what i'm doing um there will be people that don't care what you're doing yeah yeah
2: for <laughs> you sure. know and i think as as creatives we have to like understand that that we're not we're not a higher power you know we're we're, we're as equal as everyone else with the same 24 hours that we do i think you know the journey is the reward and not the trophy at the end of the day or, or the accolade at the end of the day. So those things are nice. Yes. But you know, if you have a bad time doing something and you get an award, it's like, okay, cool. That really doesn't mean anything. So it's, it's really focusing on like, does, is this making me happy in the moment? You know, is this fulfilling me? Am I learning? Am I growing? Am I getting my creative juices out there? Are they flowing? Am I inspiring other people? Am I helping other people? And if I'm doing that in whatever capacity, that's the most important thing to me because then I'm not doing it for anyone else. I'm really, I'm really just doing it for myself. And um, that's where I want to be.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that makes sense. Favorite recipes in this book? We just talk about that for a second.
2: Definitely. The jerk chicken is one of my favorite recipes. The Jamaican beef patties, the goosey soup, the oxtails, the curry goat, roti. I mean, those are some of my favorite ones. Those are things I eat on a consistent basis. So um, it's beautiful to share that with everyone. That's great.
0: Okay. Last question. And I don't know, um, you mentioned you're in Virginia, but I don't know if you're in Virginia last night, but we ask everyone who's on the podcast, what'd you have for dinner last night?
2: For dinner last night, I had like a smorgasbord of food. So I would say it was like a lunch dinner combo. I mean, I, I ate within three hours, so I had Ethiopian food. I had like mister and Fasolia, Tibbs and Dorawat and um, like lamb stew and some Musa's. And then I had, (laughs) I had some sushi and some French fries. And some Korean glazed uh, fried cauliflower. That's so, wild.
0: You were on an eating safari, I guess. I was.
2: I, I was having a bunch of meetings, and I was just picking throughout. So, so yeah, it was a uh, lot. And, and where, then, was
0: that in D.C. or L.A. or it was in, it was in D.C.
2: That and sounds then, very and, D.C. Actually, and it's not the end. And then I had um, <laughs> ribeye um, and uh, five spice crumb rouleau at Salamander. Um, so room service late at night
0: well sounds sounds okay i hope you're not eating too much today Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) well thanks i mean unless there's you want to say that i didn't ask you i i learned a lot i thought it was a great conversation and really appreciate your time and coming on here with me
2: of course of course thanks for
0: having me when my kids were young i made fried plantains so often they loved them and uh I loved buying unripe plantains and watching them turn black on the counter. Just blacker and blacker and blacker until I knew that they were going to be so sweet that even the kids would like them. This is Kwame's recipe for sweet plantains, but it has a twist, which is an avocado crema. A little more complicated than the plantains themselves. Really great. So I will do these recipes separately. The crema, which you can make a bit in advance, is simply... One ripe avocado, a clove of garlic, three quarters of a cup of sour cream, three tablespoons of mayonnaise, the juice of a lime, and salt to taste. You obviously peel and pit the avocado, put the flesh in a food processor, add the remaining ingredients, and puree until smooth, obviously seasoned to taste with salt. You could do this with a masher, but I tried it both ways, and it is creamier in a food processor. The hardest part about the plantains is waiting to get plantains that are black. Now, some stores sell yellow-black plantains. Some even sell all-black plantains. You want them—they could still have a trace of yellow, but they have to be pretty soft. And um, there's a bit of a trick to peeling plantains. I'll try to describe it here. You cut them into thirds, cut off the ends and discard them, and then cut the rest into thirds, and then using a paring knife— Cut the skin vertically on each of those thirds in three places. You can peel off the peel in sections very easily. So to cook, cut the plantains into chunks about three-quarters of an inch thick, and heat vegetable oil, neutral oil, I would say, in a pan about an eighth of an inch deep. You need a good coating of oil on the bottom of the pan, and heat that until it's shimmering. It's about 350 degrees, and then add the plantains and cook flipping every couple of minutes until they're deeply golden brown, soft, beautiful. It'll take about 10 to 12 minutes. There's few things more fun to do than this because they really change color and into just the most beautiful dark golden brown and become, you can watch them becoming crisp. It's fabulous. Drain the plantains as they finish. They undoubtedly will not all finish at the same time on a plate Uh, lined with paper towels or not paper towels, any towels, and sprinkle with salt, serve with the crema. I think this is enough crema. Kwame is saying two plantains. I think this is enough crema for three plantains, but let's say two or three. And if you use a good-sized cast-iron skillet, 12 inches or even more across, you can easily cook three plantains at once in there. When I finished this conversation with Kwame, I felt like... I learned as much about myself as I had about him. It was, to me, a really thoughtful and interesting conversation. I hope you felt the same way. I want to thank him for joining me on today's show. You can follow Kwame on Instagram, at Chef Kwame Unwache. So that's at C-H-E-F-K-W-A-M-E-O-N-W-U-A-C-H-I. And on Twitter and Facebook, at Chef Kwame. My America, Recipes from a Young Black Chef, is out now. Thanks also to Kate Bittman, Davis Lloyd, and Catherine Lowe for helping me put together today's show. Thanks to DeMoby for our great music. We will see you next week when we will have someone fabulous. I don't say that to be mysterious. I actually don't know who we're having next week, but it will be cool. See you then. Thanks for joining. Remember to subscribe. And uh, we'll see you next week.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well?